did things a little out of order, but um, let, we're in uh, Second Peter this morning. So many people sleep on Second Peter, but it's a good one. And it's in the lectionary for this Sunday. Uh, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through 15a. If you're new to the lectionary, you get the A's and the B's, actually, where they, they stop. Um, so we're, we're stopping at 15a this morning. The Pubac Bible number is on the screen. Once you've got it, you can stand in body or spirit for the reading of the word. Hear the word of the Lord. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I, um, I wasn't made to live by a clock. Yeah, somebody amen already? You feel that? There, there are conversations I like to linger in. And there are many times when I'm caught up in an idea or a moment or someone's presence, and I kind of lose all perspective on time, how much, how much time has passed. And for us right now living today, hearing these words about the patience of the Lord, it, it's, it's a different context than the people hearing it, but it's still a necessary message because we live under the tyranny of the clock. Uh, when I was thinking about this and I was doing some research and things like that, I found this quote from this comedian, I don't even know who he is, and a guy named Dave Allen. Any fans out there, Dave Allen? No? He said this, we spend our lives on the run. We get up by the clock, eat and sleep by the clock, get up again, go to work, and then we retire. And what do they effing give us? A clock. Now, that's the, that's the retirement gift a lot of times is a watch or a clock. So even though you're retired, you can remember the clock is still ticking and you are not doing enough. Often, urgency is, is no friend of any of ours and trying to do too much too fast 
usually doesn't help us. You ever started doing that and then you start dropping everything and breaking everything? I think most times I've cracked my phone was because I was trying to do too much too fast or because I didn't listen to my wife and get the screen protector on there in time. Uh, I, I want to learn how to rest and how to be patient. And so much of this passage is about how the wisdom of God disrupts the tyranny of the clock that we so often find ourselves under the boot of and in turn put others under the boot of. So in, in this passage, uh, Peter is trying to shepherd his flock and, and they are asking, hey, we thought things were gonna wrap up quicker here. We thought that God was going to show back up, that Jesus was gonna come back up in pretty short order and it's taking a lot longer. And they looked at their little sundial watches, right? Like, and Peter is like, well, yeah, maybe I kind of thought that too. I don't know. I don't know what was in his mind, but he knew that he had to help to steward the time that the people under his care were immersed in, the way that they saw and perceived time. And he starts with this, this quote, really. It's really a, 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 taken straight from a psalm. And I find that really instructive this morning as we talk about time, as we talk about the, the bearing weight of the pressures of living in a capitalist society that says you need to earn more and get more and be more and build more and consume more, that the answer to that in this passage is song and poetry. I'm not worried about how long that candle took to light. Peace takes time. We gotta learn to be patient in the wisdom of God. And so Peter quotes Psalm 90 and he says to his, to his flock, he says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And in this one, in this one move, there's an incredible disruption of how we think about the urgent and what is important in uh, any particular moment. And, and like getting your kids to bed on time can seem so urgent and important in, in one moment and then not in another when they have like a day off of school or something like that. It's amazing how a little bit of a different perspective can frame how you think of time. And here, Peter reminds us that while we might be under the tyranny of the clock, that God stands outside of that and, and can, can look into it, can step into it, but can see it kind of all at once can, can step in and see the suffering that you're in? Has, has time ever slowed down for you when you're going through something painful, right? You could be sitting with somebody you have a crush on 
and two hours could pass and, uh, and you, realize, you don't realize it. You think, oh, maybe it's been 10, 10 minutes or something. But if you stick your finger onto a hot stove, the one second that you're on that hot stove could last a really long time, especially if someone's holding your hand onto that stove. It's gonna feel like eternity. And so Peter starts by reminding us that God can be patient just like a parent can. No, you can't have a candy cane for breakfast. You can have it later and it'll actually be better for you if you don't have the candy cane for breakfast. And in this passage, there's so many things, so many harmful things that we as human beings do to one another when we are in a hurry. And when our theology, the way we think about God and our faith is a hurried type of faith where time is running out, where we've got to be able to say certain things to certain people or time will run out immediately. And Peter reminds us that God doesn't live that way. And that God doesn't experience time or people in that way. And that God is patient for the desire that all of us would be saved. That all of us would stop eating the candy cane for breakfast in our life. Giving us some time to figure this thing out. Walter Brueggemann, Old Testament scholar, I've been listening to a lot of his talks and lectures recently. They've been really energizing to me. He's, he's one of the premier uh, scholars of the Old Testament. He said this about hurry and, and, and greed and the patience and wisdom of God. He said this, it matters decisively if the world is imagined by fast-paced control that breeds greed and resentment, or by slow-paced wisdom that hosts complexity and that refuses sound bites. What is it that's always trying to get your attention? Sound bites, ads, the quick, the immediate, how do we eliminate the problems of your life? this workout plan, that diet, this present, or this thing that's going to fix uh, everything. If you would just spend more, just earn more and then spend more, and then things will work out. But we already know that time and this urgency of time is not actually the way the universe functions. I mean, since Albert Einstein and the relativity of time that is proven. Like we have satellites right now in space that are telling you what time it is on your phone and they actually have to move at a different speed because they are in different sense of time and space in the universe and so time is actually moving slower there than it is here. And yet it governs everything we do. It gives us the sense of urgency that we have. Albert Einstein once said, time and space are modes by which we think and not conditions in which we live. I don't know, they kind of go together though, Albert Einstein, maybe not for you because you could just do your thing as a scientist. And, but for the rest of us, they tend to go together. So in verse nine, 
Peter elaborates and he says, the, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I often wondered early in my faith why Jesus would just walk around his town, just walking around, just talking to whoever he kind of ran into and whatever kind of problems were going on. And, and I'm wondering this morning, is it because there was more to it that maybe that part of the, the lesson humanity that we need to learn is to patiently live the lives that we were given, the wisdom of God and the slow complexities to sit on your front porch to stop looking like I do at all. I'm like, how many mansions are there in Memphis? Where did all these mansions come from? It's like one day I just started noticing there were mansions everywhere. And then I started thinking, well, why don't I have a mansion? And I just need to sit on my front porch and talk to my neighbors and, and, and get to know the world that I live in and to see the people in front of me and to know that God works in the slow, patient complexities of our life. This is, this, is a, this is Advent we're in right now, a season of waiting to see how it is that God will bring about salvation in our midst. How can we do that if we're rushing around, constantly getting to the next thing, ignoring the man on the road on the side of Jericho because we're so busy doing so many good things elsewhere? Now, the original listeners to this passage, this, this letter, this sermon by Peter had a different reason. They they were people who were under a very violent and present oppression. Maybe like the people of Gaza or the people in the Congo right now or the people of Ukraine. And they were wondering what's taking God so long because we need to be Delivered. We need a physical, bodily salvation from the evil forces that are threatening our lives and our existence. That I don't have a good answer to. <laughs> In verse 10, Peter continues and he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? And the answer largely in our world, in our country is reckless and greedy because God's just gonna bail out all these chosen rich people in the end. And that is certainly not what Peter was saying here. In fact, I do wanna spend and linger a little bit 
on these couple of sentences because um, it's really important how the words here are interpreted and how we see it in light of the entire passage and what it has to do with patience and waiting on God. So in verse 10, Peter is saying this in a couple of ways. So, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, like really quickly in that this is also, or this is in one way, it's good news for the listeners because it means just because things look bad now that, hey, Robin Hood's coming. Robin Hood's coming to restore the fortunes of you, the, the, the uh, depressed and oppressed, and it's gonna make things right. Nobody's gonna be able to see it coming. And another way, it's also to say that you should not adopt the ways of living of the oppressors of living recklessly and greedily and trying to snatch everything you can because nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to happen differently. So we need to do it. At Benjamin's birthday party yesterday, um, I said something when we were doing a pinata. There were like 20, you know, eight to 11 year old kids like in a circle around me, like screaming, you know, like, I want to go next. And I'm like, I don't know what to do right now. There's more kids than I thought. And I said, here's, you know, here's what's going to happen. We're going to hit this pinata uh, because it's already cracked. We're going to let Benjamin hit it one more time. It's going to explode everywhere. But if it only partially explodes, just stay where you are. (laughs) Just stay where you are and let him hit it again. And then when it busts all the way open, we'll rush and get the candy. Do you think anybody, any of the kids did that? No, but they're kids. We're grown-ups. We're at least larger, right? We can reach cookies if we want them. And we need to adopt a different perspective of patience, a godly wise patience. And so when we talk about this idea, when we hear about this idea that the coming of the Lord is like a thief, like all of the sudden, it's what do you want to be found doing in that time? Grabbing for as much of the candy that's spilling on the floor as you can while the little kids are behind you getting stiff-armed, right? So In this passage where it says in verse 10, it says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire. This is a really intense line. And it has the the type of theology developed from taking this as it stands here and in a few other places is giving people a theological license to act any old kind of way. And so Peter poses the question, how should we live based on this? And I want to show you this this Greek word that is translated in the phrase, will be destroyed, lio. And when you look up this word, you find that the primary definition, both in usage in the New Testament and just in the list of the meanings of the word, is to loose a thing that is fastened to set free something that was bound. And so an example of where else that's used in the scriptures is in Matthew 16, 19, where Jesus says, I will give you, he's talking to Peter, by the way, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you 
loose, translated here in the NIV and in many passages, destroy, will be destroyed, is translated here, will be loosed on earth, will be loosed in heaven, will be set free. And in Luke 13, 16, Lyo is translated here. Uh, it's not on the screen. Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day? Lyo will be destroyed, actually will be loosed. She will be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. And then in in the other part of verse 10, it says, and the earth and everything done to it will be laid bare. Do you have a little footnote next to that in, your, in yours? Is there a little footnote there on yours? So some, some translations will translate this and say, will be burned up. And the earth and everything done in it will be burned up. Really unfortunate translation here in this context what Peter is, uh, let me tell you what the word means. Um, uh, Hurisco, its primary meaning and meaning all throughout the New Testament is pretty much exclusively the phrase, you will find, to be found. So in Matthew 7, 7, it says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find. Instead of be burned up, or laid bare, you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Again, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, it says, whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Herisco, you will find to be found. And so if you were to read this and think about this, from that perspective, it might read, that verse might read something like this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear, and the elements will be loosed. Did I say that right? Yeah, to be loosed and the earth and everything done in it will be found or revealed. And so the idea is that as the end, and this is, this is found all throughout scripture, the idea is that things will be revealed for what they truly are by the power and the force of God. That when it talks about the heavens will, will, will fall or be destroyed or those kind of things, it's like a peeling back that's this idea where we get the word apocalypse from. And so things will be seen for what they truly are when God comes. And this is not dissimilar from what Paul says. And I know I'm kind of in the weeds this morning, but I, this is what the lectionary gave me and this is what I'm, I'm, I'm giving to you. So in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, Paul says something very similar like this. And it's, it's crucial for the meaning of the patience of God in this text. These ideas here. So in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, it says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. 
but each one should build with care. Care is often the opposite of hurry, is it not? For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, the day, uppercase day, the same day Peter's talking about, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. What does this fire do? And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. And if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So, back to verse 11 in 2 Peter, since everything will be destroyed or laid bare or revealed or brought down to what's left after all the junk is burned away, what kind of people should you live like? What should your behavior and conduct be? Where are you to find your hope? Since everything will be loosed, revealed, opened up, set free on this day, the coming of the Lord. And he actually says that through our conduct, we should live in verse, uh, second part of verse 11, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That's a strange thing to say, isn't it? Who hurries up God? Hurry up, God, come on, hurry up and come. And I've I've heard and read and seen all kinds of ways to sort of diminish or discount what Peter is saying here. But when we look at the context of those words that he's talking about it, it makes complete sense. Because if the day of the Lord is a fire, a consuming fire that envelops everything and burns away everything that is not, everything that is wrong, everything that is unrighteous and and impure and that is destructive, then if we live, if we live towards that end right now, it's kind of like God has less to do, less to get rid of. We could get rid of it now. We could have some peace right now. Just like Jesus was constantly saying, the kingdom of heaven is near you. It's among you. It's right there in the pew next to you. It's in the eyes of the person across the way from you. It's in the mirror when you're looking at yourself and you're angry or disgusted with who you are or when you're looking at a spouse or you're looking at a friend or a boss that you don't like or someone who you have made your enemy in your mind, that that's how close these things are. And so of course, of course we could speed the coming of this day of the Lord if we were to say, change me now, God. Let me find myself to be holy in your sight now. Let me work towards this peace right now. And the key, the thread through all of this text that Peter is offering us, how might we imitate this God is to be patient, is to slow down, 
is to fight not against each other, but the urgency that has been forced upon us that Albert Einstein apparently didn't have to pay any attention to. That we live with the patience of the Beatitude scriptures. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Disruption of the hurried commodification of every human being could speed up the day of the Lord with our patience. So in verse 12, Peter says, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt with heat, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. This will be the end result. I've been thinking about really all year, this moment in Exodus where Moses is standing out in the desert and he sees a bush. And this bush is on fire. And this is the place that God speaks to Moses from. And what did it, what happened? Why did this bush catch Moses's attention? Do you remember why? It was because the bush was on fire, but what did it not do? It didn't burn up. It wasn't out of the question to see a bush burning on fire in the desert because it was so freaking hot. You think Memphis is hot. Try the Middle East where, where Moses was trying to farm some sheep out there. Man, I hope those sheep were sheared. But the bush didn't burn up. And here, and in many places in scripture, Peter is saying this day of the Lord will come. This cons the consuming fire of God will come and it will burn away everything that is not, that shouldn't have been. And out of this will come this new heaven and this new earth where, where righteousness dwells. And it struck me as I thought about that picture of Moses and I thought about that passage is that that tree didn't need to burn up even though the consuming fire of God was in it because it was already doing what it was supposed to do. It was being a bush. It was being a tree. It was being exactly what it was intended to do. And so the fire of God had no impact on that bush. But we look forward to a to the day of the Lord where these things will be made right by, in Hebrews, it says that God is a consuming fire. And in many places in the scriptures, it also says that God is love. And so we have this consuming fire of love that when God is done with whatever is in that fire, it's exactly as it should have been. So then, dear friends, in verse 14, since you are looking forward to this, this new heaven, this new earth where righteousness dwells, make every effort, effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So this is about waiting and 
realizing God is being patient with us, but right here sandwiched in between the beginning and end of this passage is for us to make an effort, an effort to move towards that telos, that completion of what God is already moving towards us. Let's keep pace. Let's be co-laborers with God in that and to find within that image of the new heaven and the new earth, find our motivation to work with God towards that end and to not be greedy pinata grabbers believing this is all there is and then it's all gonna go away and we better get it while it's good or while the getting's good or however that saying goes. I was reminded, and this is where the... Um, the title Time's Ally for this sermon comes from. I was reminded of this speech by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, a few years before his assassination um, at, at a college campus, uh, Wesleyan University uh, of Illinois in, in, in Bloomington. And he talks about time and he talks about waiting and he, he's talking about the relationship between time and waiting. And he's uh, answering a rebuttal of that time will sort of like work itself out. That, that the things that need to happen that are good will just sort of, if time passes, it'll just, you know, work itself out. You ever hope that that happened with big problems in your life? You're just like, oh, time will fix it. I'll just ignore it. And instead it just grew bigger and worse and worse. And then when you finally looked at it, you were like, ah. So this is what he says here in, in this excerpt from this, and, and I am getting to the close here. What, what I often speak of as the myth of time, so he's, he's doing like a one-two thing. So one is what I often speak of as the myth of time. I'm sure that you've heard this. This is the argument that only time can solve the problem of racial injustice. Only time can bring integration into being. And so those who set forth this argument tend to say to the Negro and his allies in the white community, just be nice, just be patient, and wait 100 or 200 years, and the problem will work itself out. I think there is an answer to that myth. That is that time is neutral. It can be used either constructively or destructively. And I'm absolutely convinced that in so many instances, the forces of ill will in our nation, the extreme righteous of our nation, have used time much more effectively than the forces of goodwill. And it may well be that we have to repent in this generation, not merely for the vitriolic words and the violent actions of the bad people, who would bomb a church in Birmingham or Bethlehem. I added that one. Alabama, but for the appalling silence and indifference of the good people who sit around and say, wait on time. Somewhere, we must come to see that human progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts and the persistent work of dedicated individuals who are willing to be co-workers with God, or as Peter would say, speed the coming of the day. And without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the primitive forces of social stagnation. 
How then shall we live? It is so, and so it is necessary to help time and to realize that the time is always right to do right. Man, y'all missed a big amen moment there. And I was, I was quoting King too, come on. Dr. King reminds us of the neutrality of time, of the ticking clock, and that if we leave it to those who have ill will to define what that time looks like, it will bring about more suffering in our world, in your world, in your life, in my life. And the wisdom of the patience of God says that we can be long-suffering and doing good, that we, that we know the end that we are working towards. We are not in the same rat race. We do not have to grasp for the finite amount of resources out there, but we can work toward the renewing and the newness that God is bringing, even now, even right now, inside of each one of us. And so in verse 15, in the last verse, 15a, it says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. And so we suffer long as the baptized, as the believers, as those who hold to the crucified Messiah who suffered long for our sake. We hold to that. We patiently and expectantly wait and we co-labor and we work together with God. That's what this means in this Advent season as we take communion, as we do not allow time to oppress us but we press back against the urgency of time and seek the wisdom and the patience of God. Let's pray.